second lesson, which is the same as our first lesson in a different translation. I debated about whether or not to say this today, but I think it's all right now. Enough time has gone by. But a few years ago, in the providence of God, it was my privilege to be one evening alone with the President of the United States in the White House in Washington. Some very disturbing things to him had occurred, and uh, he had become irritated and angry over several things, and it expressed in some rather harsh language his feelings. And of course, when you're in the presence of the President, all you do is listen as a rule. But after a while, it was about two in the morning, I said, uh, Mr. President, do you mind if I read the Bible to you? And he said, no, I want you to. And he folded his arms up in bed. He was in bed, and he folded his arms like that. And he said, all right, read. <laughs> and so I picked up a leather Bible just like this one, a Phillips translation of the New Testament. And of course, imagine what, what scripture would you pick to read? Well, I didn't know. I just, I just opened the scriptures and prayed that the Lord would give me enough sense to pick something appropriate to read to him under these circumstances. And what should my eyes fall on except the 12th chapter of Romans? And so I read to him these words from Philip's translation. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. As your spiritual teacher, I give this piece of advice to each one of you. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. For just as you have many members in one physical body, and those members differ in their function, so we, though many in number, compose one body in Christ and are all members one of another. Through the grace of God we have different gifts. If our gift is preaching, let us preach to the limit of our vision. If it is serving others, let us concentrate on our service. If it is teaching, let us give all we have to our teaching. If our gift be that of stimulating the faith of others, let us set ourselves to it. Let the man who is called to give, give freely. Let the man who wields authority think of his responsibility. And let the man who feels sympathy for his fellows act cheerfully. Let us have no imitation love. Let us have a genuine break with evil and a real devotion to good. Let us have real warm affection for one another as between brothers and a willingness to let the other man have the credit. Let us not allow slackness to spoil our work and let us keep the fires of the Spirit burning as we do our work for the Lord. 
Base your happiness on your hope in Christ. When trials come, endure them patiently. Steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. Give freely to fellow Christians in want, never grudging a meal or a bed to those who need them. And as for those who try to make your life a misery, bless them. Don't curse, bless. Share the happiness of those who are happy and the sorrow of those who are sad. Live in harmony with one another. Don't become snobbish, but take a real interest in ordinary people. Don't become set in your own opinions. Don't pay back a bad turn by a bad turn to anyone. See that your public behavior is above criticism. As far as your responsibility goes, live at peace with everyone. Amen. When I finished this reading, he said, that helped me. And I knelt by his bed, and we had a prayer together. Jeremiah was a sensitive, emotional man, a man who is called the weeping prophet because of the tears that he shed in seeing the debauchery that occurred around the temple in Jerusalem and the defection from faith in God of the people of Judah. And it was his task to proclaim to these people that God's judgment would come. The principal reason for his stating this to Judah was that these people who had been a chosen people of God, brought into a promised land, and given all of the light and the glory of the law of God and the inspiration of the prophets of God, had taken all of this for granted and made the fatal assumption that God Almighty had to bless them. Any time an individual or a nation or a people assumes that God must bless you, no matter if you lie or commit adultery, no matter if you steal or cheat, no matter what you do, then you are set up for the judgment of God. And that was the message that Jeremiah had to proclaim. But with it all, there was tinged hope and there was light at the end of the tunnel for Jeremiah prophesied that there would come a day when God's Spirit would take out the heart of flesh and stone and that God's Spirit would write its message on the heart of those who were regenerated by his power. And that great promise was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. For what God has done in Jesus Christ is to incarnate himself, to flesh out in human flesh all that God can put into one who is one indeed with God and the one in whose steps we are to follow and to whom we are called. Now the Apostle Paul, in writing his magnum opus, pulls out all of the stops and he sounds the dark thunder tones of judgment to the people in Rome who are called Christians. He outlines for them the origin of all of man's trouble, his rebellion against his creator, 
and the breaking of his relationship with God. He tells us that when man has broken his relationship with God, he becomes frustrated as to who he is and why he is here. There is an identity crisis that occurs within him. When there is an identity crisis that occurs in him, this expresses itself in all forms of evil toward those who are round about him. And in the first chapter of Romans, St. Paul delineates a great list of heinous sins because man went from idolatry and the breaking of his relationship with God, a frustration of his own meaning and purpose for living, and worked it out in hatred and violence and in every form of lust and evil toward his fellow man. We illustrated this last Sunday as I reviewed for you from William Golding's book, The Lord of the Flies, how hatred can take over even in little children, for little children have in them those same tendencies toward evil that we have. One thing I did not point out last week in that book, which I read very carefully and which I urge you to read, is that the beginning of trouble came when the one person in the book who is really the everyman figure, the one who is sort of good, Ralph, expresses contempt for the little intellectual in the group who confided to him right in the very beginning at their first meeting that he was fat and he had to wear glasses. And, and uh, so he said to, to Ralph, hoping that he would trust him, he said, I want to tell you a secret. He said, I hope here on this island that they won't do one thing. He said, what is the secret? And the little boy says to him, back in England, everyone called me piggy because I'm fat. And you know what Ralph did? He said, ha, 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 piggy. Now that's a very little sin at first. But then you see it creep out in all of the little boys as they wind up killing each other. And this is what St. Paul says happens to us when that confusion of identity occurs in us. We break our relationship with God. Then we begin to break our relationship with each other. Now Paul goes on in Romans to show us how that relationship with God can be restored. That God clothed himself out in the Son of God who became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh for the purpose of redeeming us. He became the God-man and we are to be in Christ Jesus and we are to belong to him. Now then, St. Paul, as is his custom, after going all the way through this great epistle to the Romans and explaining the mysteries of God to these Roman Christians and how much God has loved us and redeemed us through his Son, then Paul turns in the 12th chapter of Romans to what I spoke of a moment ago. It's one thing to make a confession of faith like Mark did a moment ago and like a great many of us here have done. But it is another thing to begin to express, to flesh out in day-by-day -day living, 
the reality of the faith which we profess. And here, I fear, is where so many of us fall short and where we need to be brought back, brought back to the pages of the New Testament and brought back to the fact that the gospel is not only the salvation of my soul, but the gospel is the salvation of my body, which is to be yielded to God and which is an act of intelligent worship. Worship is not merely the recitation of prayers. Worship is not merely the offering up of hymns of praise. Worship is the giving of ourselves to God. And that's costly, tremendously costly. It cost me my pride. It cost me my prejudice. It cost me my lust. It cost me the things that I want to do because I must be yielded to Christ. In response to this great gift of salvation, what is the answer? I beseech you, says Paul, I beseech you, I beg you. Therefore, my brethren, because of all God has done for you, don't put your mind in neutral, but because of what God has done for you, present your body as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they brought to the priest animals that were to be slain and blood sacrifices that were to be offered for sins. Well, Paul says you are to be a living sacrifice. You're to be a living dead man. That old nature is to die more and more, and that new nature in Christ is to live more and more. There is no other gospel. There is no other message. There is no justification without sanctification. You cannot be saved unless you are being saved day by day from those sins which beset you. And this is what is required of us in our work, in the dormitory, in the classroom, wherever we are at home, and in all that we think and do. The greatest folly, folly that has ever been perpetrated upon the church going public is somehow the idea that a person is in a right relationship with God simply because he becomes a member of some church and is a name on a roll. Nothing could be further from the truth. And nothing could be a greater distortion of the Christian message. Sure, we're to join in fellowships, and sure, we're to be the body of Christ, but we're not to be playing games if there is one thing that this young generation of Jesus people have taught us and are teaching us, it is the hypocrisy that they see in so many church people who utter all of these words, but they see no corresponding effect of those words in the day-by-day -day living of their life. The book that uh, raged in America before Golding's book, The Lord of the Flies, was, was the book by J.D. Salinger, Catcher in the Rye, which is read in a great many high schools. And in that book, you see this coming out too, the youth seeing hypocrisy. And one of the most human situations, Holden Caulifield goes into a theater and he sits down beside a mother, a big, fat mama. And right by her is her little boy, and there is a scene on the screen. And Mama is weeping because of this sad thing on the scene and enjoying crying. And the little boy is saying, Mama, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the bathroom. And she says, shut up. And then weeps at this, uh, on the thing. 
And Holden Caulfield says, that's the way it is with the phonies. That's the way it is with the phonies. They can always weep at something that's acted out. But they don't show any compassion to a little boy who's in pain and wants to go to the bathroom. Very human thing, but very revealing thing. And children catch on to these things very quickly. Well, so Paul here is telling us what the response should be. It is the giving of our body. The giving of our body is a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. We've seen the Olympics and all those splendidly disciplined bodies participating in the great events of the Olympics. Well, our bodies are to be yielded to Christ, to be yielded to him. I cringe when I hear people say, oh, my life is music, and my life is football, or my life is my business, or my life is my family's. Then quit calling yourself a Christian. Your life belongs to Christ. Your life belongs to Christ if you're a Christian. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is intelligent worship. There is no other worship. The other thing is a facade, a plastic fake stuff that is not reality. Here, God invaded this planet in the person of Jesus Christ and what he intends is that every Christian should be a little Christ. Every Christian should have the life of God in the soul of man. Paul's favorite expression is in Christ Jesus. He uses it again and again and again, 126 times in his 13 letters alone. He uses the phrase in Christ Jesus, that a Christian is in Christ. Now this is a learning, maturing, growing process. We do not catch it all at one time but we are in a growth process with it. Now, how is this to be accomplished if I present my body to him? And I can tell you how uh, one of the sweetest stories that I ever read was the story of Bobby Moffitt. Bobby Moffitt, Robert Moffitt, became a great missionary of the Church of Scotland. And the way in which Robert Moffitt gave his life to Jesus Christ in Scotland, when they take up the offering, they use little... Uh, offering bags that go down the aisle so no one can see how much money they're giving. They put it down in the bag. And, and they pass these down the aisle. And then at the back of the church, the deacons place all of these in a great big basin and they bring it forward and then the prayer is made over the offering. And uh, so one day there was an appeal being made for mission. And this big basin had been put down, and little Robert Moffat heard the appeal being made, and he was a raggedy little Scottish boy, and he had no money to put in. And Bobby Moffat walked forward and stepped into the plate, and he said, I have no money, I'll give him myself. And he gave him himself. He presented his body as a living sacrifice to Christ, and the world is better because of that living sacrifice to Christ, Robert Moffat. Now then, Paul says that we are not to be conformed to the world. Here we have the world screaming at us through the television tube. Here we have the world shouting out its system of values through its books and periodicals. Here we have worldly contacts, and by worldly it means that system which is at variance with the gospel. 
which is at variance with the Ten Commandments, which is at variance with what Jesus taught. That system. We are not to be conformed to it. J.B. Phillips translates that beautifully. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And this is another thing that many of the young people are doing. They are seeking to express their own individuality. They want some identity that is their own. Over at our prayer meeting room, we have a big poster up, Christ the Liberator. And that's who they're looking for, one to liberate them. And he can liberate you from that conformity of the world system, and he alone can liberate you. Now, how does he do it? He does it, says St. Paul, by the transforming and the renewing of our minds. The transforming and the renewing of our minds. Psychiatry, the word psyche and the word psychiatry, these are two Greek words which mean uh, the healing of the mind, working on the mind. Here is the greatest psychiatry, a mind being transformed and renewed transformed and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the living Christ working in us, working in us, conforming us into the image that he desires us to be which is in him. And then St. Paul begins to show us not only this as a, as a matter of, uh, of a theory, but he begins to show how it works out in a day-by-day -day life. He tells us that we are as Christians, those of us who are brothers and sisters in Jesus, and this is another thing that the Jesus families have created, that oneness in Christ Jesus, for we are all members. We do not have the same office. All of us do not have the same gifts. They vary. And so Paul gives some instructions. He said if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, exhort, and preach in the proportion of faith that God has given you. He said if it's ministering, that is, helping other people, then help them, help them. Teaching, let the teacher teach to the glory of God. One of the greatest teachers who ever lived was Thomas Arnold of Rugby. And Thomas Arnold of Rugby used to literally go from his knees to his classroom, where he would be teaching history, or where he would be teaching English literature, or where he would be teaching Latin. And he said, whenever I leave my knees and I go to the classroom and I feel some loss of spirit, I know that there's something wrong in me. I want my teaching. I want my teaching to glorify Jesus Christ. That's precisely what Paul would say here. And then he goes on to say, let love be without dissimulation. That is, to dissemble means to fake it. And this is where the kids pick up on it real quick. To dissemble means to imitate it. Plastic love, like that woman in the theater and that little boy needing to go to the bathroom. That's plastic love. It's fake. And they reject it as utter hypocrisy. If we claim to be a Christian college at Montreat Anderson College and are ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ, we ought to go down the drain. The sooner the better. A lot of good Christian money will be saved. But we need not to be hypocrites about it. We need to be working at it. Abhor that which is evil, says St. Paul. 
cleave to that which is good. During World War II, I, I was out in Texas, and uh, in the town where I lived, there were a great many military people uh, stationed in an army camp nearby. And during the war there came into our region because uh, there was a lot of rain sometimes in East Texas, and, and uh, there were a lot of mosquitoes, and malaria became quite a, a problem. And I remember that in order to eliminate malaria, people went around punching holes in the bottom of cans so that water would not collect and stagnate and mosquitoes would come and breed and spread malaria. Uh, ditches and swamps were drained, and there was an effort to get rid of it. Well, for the person who belongs to Jesus Christ, there must be a sincere effort on his part to get rid of those things which are pulling him away from Christ, which are evil. He is to abhor them, not to make friends with them, to get rid of them, to make some efforts at getting rid of them. Last week we had the uh, speak at prayer meeting, a remarkable person. He won the whole Southern Intercollegiate Invitational Golf Tournament, number one. He has become a Christian, a tremendous Christian, has a great ministry with professional golfers. And Cobby Ware told our group, he said, I used to spend five to eight hours a day with a stick hitting a little white ball. That's what I gave my life to. And then one day Jesus Christ touched me. And I realized that there was something bigger than golf, that God must come into my life, and I yielded my life to him. Now, he's still a great golfer, and he still has a great ministry, but he has put his priorities in the right place. Cleave to what is good. There is another word here in the King James. Be not slothful in business, but fervent in the spirit. Do your job to the best of your ability. We have a lot of Belk Simpson store managers here today, and we're very glad to, to have the Belk Simpson store people and their wives with us. And I'm sure that Mr. Simpson will appreciate this. I remember during uh, a time when I worked in a department store selling clothes that one of our, our store manager, a wonderful Roman Catholic and a great Christian, and he spoke to us one day at a sales meeting. And uh, he told about one employee who was jealous of another employee who had been promoted in the firm. And the person who had not been promoted, who was jealous, said to our boss, he said, that's the luckiest man I ever saw. And our boss said, yeah, and did you ever notice that the harder he works, the luckier he gets? <laughs> well, now that's precisely a lesson that we can learn in the Christian faith. A lot of people are lousy Christians for the simple reason that they never work at it. They'll work at golf. They'll work at improving their bridge game. They'll work at a great many other things, but they never really work at it in the Christian faith. They never start yielding control of things to Jesus Christ. And you can't be a Christian without giving him Lord, and that means obeying him and following his instructions. That's what he says, be not slothful in in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, that is, under the Lordship of Christ. Now, the example that this brings is great. It's an example that has changed the whole world. The Rome to which Paul wrote was a brutal, cruel, horrible place. Like a lot of our politicians, it promised to all of the people a life of total luxury. 
The Roman citizens lived in a slave economy, and they did not even work. They didn't even work. They went to the circuses, the games, six days a week in the arena, and they saw the gladiators there engaged in combat. The gladiators were slaves that had been brought in. They would stage naval, uh, Navy battles there on the field. They would stage all kind of gladiatorial contests. And the, the society had been debauched, one person said to the place, that uh, when one victim was pinned to the ground, when someone had knocked his sword out of his hand and pinned him to the ground, he would stand with his sword up over his heart and look up to the cheering throng. And the women in the crowd made the decision. And if the women put thumbs down, then they ran the sword through the heart of the victim. You know how those games were stopped? There was a Christian, and his name was Telemachus. And some of you may have heard his story. He went into the games after he had become a Christian. He had not been there before, and he was new, and he had come to Rome, and he went into the games. And he saw there this spectacle of brutality and butchery take place. This addiction, which is so much like our own generation, addiction to violence. Watch television. You got your choice, sex or violence, the same way. Well, this man, Telemachus, the Christian, came in and he saw this gladiatorial contest and he saw the man pinned to the ground and a sword was put over him. And Telemachus jumped out of the stands and ran out on the field. And he pushed one of the gladiators back and he said, don't do that, for the love of Christ, don't do that. And the crowd laughed. They thought it was some sort of clown act. And Telemachus said, stop, stop, for Jesus' sake, stop. And the man took the flat of his sword and slapped Telemachus to the ground with it. And when Telemachus kept protesting, the man put, put his sword over his heart and thrust it through him. And the crowd stood. And as they saw the puddle of blood go out from the body of this Christian, saturating the sand, their cheers and cries began to subside. And they began to get up one by one and walk away from that stadium. And Telemachus, by presenting his body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, started the transformation that led to the end of the games in the arena in Rome. We who call ourselves Christians need to show to God intelligent worship by yielding ourselves to him wherever we are, not just in church, but in the way we conduct our business affairs, in the way and the attitude that we treat our wives and our children, and the way in which we live day by day, showing to others that the body that we live in, this house here, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a shrine of Jesus Christ in which he lives out his life in us to other people. You can do that by giving your life to the Lordship is Christ. Remember that early Christian symbol, Jesus is Lord. Let us stand in prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, wilt thou deliver us from ever assuming that the gospel is only a lot of words strung together, only some catchy tunes, only a group of people who meet in a certain place. 
but help us to know that we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Help us to know that we are in, to introduce to the world about us a quality of life which has come to us by the regenerating, renewing power of Jesus. Therefore, we seek forgiveness for ways in which we have fallen short and pray for utter sincerity in our devotion to him and ask that you will show from our meeting together today and the rest of this day and the week to follow and the life to follow, a life more yielded and under his control. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our helper and our guide, be and abide with you all. Thank you.